I always take it as a good sign when, as I wake up in the morning and kind of skim the headlines, stories pop out that match the message that I'm about to give in a homily, the theme that I'm about to proclaim. And there were two such stories today. One had to do with the people in Myanmar who have suffered so terribly at a dictatorial, tyrannical government and how the people in Myanmar were using decorated Easter eggs to protest. And I thought, that is really wonderful. Because what they're proclaiming in a very profound way is that in the midst of evil and sin, there is something more powerful in the resurrection of Jesus. That what they cannot do by showing up physically, they can do by proclaiming their faith in the risen Christ. The second was a story about an 18-year-old boy from New Jersey who, in the midst of gunfire, covered his 10-year-old girlfriend's nephew. He was killed. The nephew was fine. There was this powerful self-gift that said that there was something more at work than the preservation of earthly life. He gave his own life for the sake of his 10-year-old girlfriend's nephew. We live in a world of unbelievable brokenness. I know that every age has the tendency to say this is the worst it's ever been. But it does seem like there are a lot of unprecedented events in our world today. None of us were alive for the last pandemic. Hundreds of thousands of Americans and millions of others have died because of COVID. We have been fortunate to get the vaccine, but the distribution of the vaccine, both in our country and more importantly around the world, has not been even or fair. It is still the case that people who are black or brown in the United States have a harder time getting the vaccine. And most of the world, not just in developed places like Europe, but more importantly, in developing countries, will probably wait years for a vaccine. I mentioned Myanmar, a country where the military is taken over because they don't like the results of the election. Mental health issues in this country are exponentially growing. Young adults, which used to be among the happiest in society, according to the consistent studies by Cigna, the health insurance company, that does a happiness survey every year, because of its connection to health care costs, indicates that those from 18 to 35 are the least happy in our country. That was never the case before. They were always among the happiness, happiest rather. It was those who were elderly who were dealing with so many health issues that often became the unhappy. 
Even in our church, Cardinal Cantalamesa, the preacher of the papal household, has indicated that there is much brokenness in the church, not because of dogma, not because of important theological concerns, but because of ideologies. That we have made our political ideology more important than the person of Jesus. And we've paid a price. While I am happy for, let's say, the Supreme Court appointees, I wonder what the cost to the pro-life movement in this country will be because we've embraced people who, in fact, have not lived gospel values publicly in the way they speak about each other, in the way they treat women, and their lack of compassion for those who suffer the most. What of us? You see, in the midst of this brokenness, we cannot give in to brokenness and sin. We cannot and we must not. We must proclaim that Jesus is risen from the dead. Think of what God has done throughout our history. From the first moment of sinfulness in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 3.15, he promises a Redeemer. He will give us life. From the first moment of our rejection, God shouts life to us. And on and on it goes. The sinfulness that becomes pervasive is met with the antidote of Noah's faithfulness. Abraham, who wanders in the desert, is rewarded because of his faith in a loving God who will give him numerous descendants. People who clamor for a king and recognize the brokenness of Saul's kingship, God gives them David. When the people of God are slaves in Egypt, God gives them Moses. When it is the case that they do not know how to live because they have been slaves for so long, God gives them the law, teaches them what it means to be just, And much of that justice is about how they care for the broken and the vulnerable. Imagine if corporate America took just one rule from the Torah, that whatever fruit fell from the tree was to be left there for the poor. The irony is that in places like the Philippines, which grow a lot of bananas, by the way, or a lot of pineapples, by the way, the people can see the pineapples They harvest the pineapples, but they can't eat the pineapples. They all go to one particular country, which shall remain nameless. Okay, the United States. We must proclaim life. We must proclaim the risen life of Christ. And all of our celebration, liturgically or otherwise, as St. John Chrysostom reminds us, will be for not. We can have the most beautiful vessels on the altar, but if we can't proclaim an authentic message to the broken, it is for not. If we do not allow our hearts to be changed so that we can recognize, as Matthew 25 tells us, that every other human being in the world is Christ. 
that it matters how we treat especially the most vulnerable. In the midst of the brokenness when Jesus arrived, where did he go? The Pharisees? The scribes? Those who were the most recognized religious leaders of the day? No. He went to the broken. He spent his time with tax collectors, with sinners. He addressed a woman caught in the act of adultery. He pointed out the example of a poor widow who gave all that she had. Time and again, he said in the kingdom of God, there it is, there it is, and rarely was it in the institution of his day. Most of the time, he was reforming the institution to bring it back to its authentic roots of proclaiming the living and loving message of God. What are the implications for us today? We rightly speak out against abortion, and we should. But we can never confuse the fact that people don't know the teaching of the church with the fact that people disagree with the teaching of the church. Even if, glory be to God, Roe v. Wade is overturned, little will change. We will have to convince minds and hearts. All that that means is that it will go back to states, many of whom have codified in their constitutions the same right. That's the power of the gospel. On issue after issue, we must change minds and hearts. We must convince people that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We must convince people that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. We must convince people, not by by beating them over the head, but by walking with them, by listening to them. I made an observation last night that when I was at Blessed Sacrament in Madison, the director of faith formation was a man who met with each member of the RCIA program, of which there were a significant number, once a month, essentially for spiritual direction. He did so because he believed that more important than what they knew factually about Jesus, more important than that was that they knew Jesus, that they developed a relationship with Jesus. Facts without this relationship simply mean that people go back to what they believed before. And we see that in many of the RCIA programs. People come into the church, they're excited, and they leave. That wasn't the case when I was at Blessed Sacrament. Most of the people that I knew in the RCIA program during my time there, brief as it was, were practicing the faith, at least when I left. We must proclaim the loving power of Jesus. It is what is unique to our faith. It is what is powerful in our faith. And it is, in fact, what leads to eternal life so that all people may know in their brokenness and in the glory of God that Jesus Christ is risen. He is indeed risen. Alleluia.